morning. Let's begin by reading from Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, as we put our hope in you. Let's continue by singing from Praise the Lord. Let's glorify God together this morning and bring blessing to his name as we sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you remain standing, let's pray together. Almighty God, we, we come here this morning because we know that it is only in you that we can be saved. Lord, there are many things around us, things that we see day to day which, which offer us all sorts of things for our comfort, for our own personal ambition. But Lord, we know that it's only in you that we can find true peace and only in you that salvation rests. And Lord, as we meet together this morning, we do praise you. We bless your name and we glorify you. Not that anything we do can can affect your glory. It is all all powerful, almighty, invisible to everyone. But Lord, we want to come and to praise you. Lord, please be with us this morning and bless us. And help us to focus on you this morning. To renew our commitment to you and to go forward together as your people. Amen. 
Dear Lord, we've, we've read this morning of your, your protection and your salvation. And Lord, we come now to bring before you to, to recall to our own minds those that we know who, who need your special care at the moment. Lord, we, we know that you know the needs of, of everyone. That you, you see the pain and the, the discomfort and the upset and heartache of everyone on this planet. But Lord, we, we recognise that, that we often overlook these things and we, we pray now that you will help us to, to show your love and that you will give your, your special attention and your healing touch to the people that we've thought about this morning and mentioned. Lord, we pray for Andy and Karen and the children. Lord, you, you know what they need and we, we knew them when they were here and we pray that you'll bless them and, and make them strong in you. We pray too for, for Zoe Dean and for Tessa as they, as they go through treatment. We pray that you will make them strong and help them to feel your love and support. We pray too for the sister Lynn at Bristol, that you'll give her what she needs, the strength and support that, that is so important. And Lord, we pray too for my grandparents as they make, make difficult decisions at the moment, that you will give them, them peace and comfort and show them the right things to do, the right decisions to make. Lord, we pray too for all the, the organising that, that goes on here. Lord, we pray that you will be in the meetings that plan events, that everything we do will bring you glory and that you will bless the plans we make because, Lord, we make them, we make them under your guidance. And we make them to try to proclaim you loudly and clearly to the people that you bring to us. Lord, we do pray that you will be with us now and bless us in Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing from the, the Green Hymn Book now. Um, number 133. I've chosen this one. I'm not aware that we sing it very often at all. Um, I've chosen it because it picks up, I think, a little bit on the sorts of things that we think about in that prayer that we've just shared together in the, um, the passing of lives, how we, how we grow and we stumble and we, we need God's uh, help and support through every period of our lives. But it, it also, I think, picks up a little bit on the, the reading which we're going to have this morning, which is from Genesis 28 and which is the, the story of Jacob and Jacob at Bethel and perhaps some of the some of the things that he realized at that point were are perhaps picked up in this in this hymn talking about the uh, the slippery paths of youth and the heedless steps which i think perhaps uh, Jacob was coming to realize at, at that event at Bethel so let's sing together 133 from the green hymn book so we're going to take a reading from Genesis 28, as I said, and Becky Brickhouse is going to lead us in that reading, and then Dave's going to come and exhort us after the reading. Thanks, Becky. Genesis chapter 28. 
Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, You must not marry a Canaanite woman. Go to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, in northwest Mesopotamia. Laban, your mother's brother, lives there. Marry one of his daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may you become a group of many peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing of Abraham, so that you may own the land where you are now living as a stranger, the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to northwest Mesopotamia to Laban, the brother of Rebekah. Bethuel the Aramean was the father of Laban and Rebekah, and Rebekah was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to northwest Mesopotamia to find a wife there. He also learned that Isaac had commanded Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to northwest Mesopotamia. So Esau saw that his father Isaac did not want his sons to marry Canaanite women. Now Esau already had wives, but he went to Ishmael, son of Abraham, and he married Mahalath, Ishmael's daughter. Mahalath was the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he came to a place, he spent the night there because the sun had set. He found a stone and laid his head on it to go to sleep. Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder resting on the earth and reaching right up into heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and coming down the ladder. Then Jacob saw the Lord standing high above the ladder and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your grandfather and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are now sleeping. Your descendants will be as many as the dust of the earth. They will spread west and east, north and south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. I am with you, and I will protect you, and everywhere you go I will be and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, but I did not know it. He was afraid and said, This place frightens me. It is surely the house of God and the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone he had slept on, and set it up on its end. Then he poured olive oil on the top of it. At first, the name of that city was Luz, but Jacob named it Bethel. Then Jacob made a promise. He said, I want God to be with me and to protect me on this journey. I want him to give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so I will be able to return in peace to my father's house. If the Lord does these things, he will be my God. This stone which I have set up on its end will be the house of God, and I will give God one-tenth of all that he gives to me. All right, good morning, everyone. I've just got pins and needles in my left foot, so if I keel over, I do apologise. 
Um, yeah, good morning, everyone. And as I haven't seen um, a lot of you uh, this year, Happy New Year. Um, I guess it's better, better late than never. Um, this morning, I want to base my thoughts around this place. Um, and when I say this place, I actually mean a whole variety of different places. I am going to, of course, consider this our church. Um, but I also want to think uh, in a little bit of detail about Bethel in the Bible. Um, because hopefully, as, as we will discover, that the Bethel in the Bible is it's a very significant place, particularly during the time of the patriarchs. Um, and so this morning what I want to do is, is to just spend a bit of time looking at the experiences of the likes of Abraham and in particular the experience of Jacob um, and, to just, and to try and unearth um, just why Bethel was such an important place um, in their walk with God but also why it's such an important place in terms of our walk with God as well. So um, to start with, Let's have a look um, at this reading that we've just, just shared together from, from Genesis 28. Because I think this, is a, this event is a very significant event in Jacob's life. Um, now Genesis 28, it starts at the point where Jacob is fleeing um, from his family, in particular from Esau. Um, and before, up to this point, um, Jacob has successfully tricked his brother Esau, into selling his birthright. He successfully deceived his father and received the blessing originally intended for Esau. And as a result of that, he's completely infuriated Esau uh, and to the point at which Esau wants to go and kill him. It's a pretty good start, isn't it? Um, what, you don't, what I didn't realise, because I sort of think Jacob at this point, he must, you know, he's probably in his 20s. In actual fact, when Jacob flees his family, he's 77. Um, and up until this point, we're not told explicitly in Genesis of any previous encounters that Jacob has had um, with God. And yes, his, his father and his mother um, have spoke, spoken with God, uh, particularly when uh, Rebecca is informed that she, she will give birth to twins and, and that sort of thing. But... In terms of Jacob himself, we're not told that he has, has had any encounters with God, so to speak. Um, so, I put it to you that this event that we've just read in Genesis 28 is Jacob's first encounter with God at the age of 77. So, as we've read, um, Isaac blesses Jacob and he sends, sends Jacob on his way to find, find a wife um, from uh, his, his mother's uh, family. So I just want to read, um, reread, sorry, um, from verse 10 of 28. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out, set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So just in case you're not aware, um, that word Bethel in the the Hebrew, it literally means house of God. Um, And the question that hopefully we're going to answer by by the end end of this morning is where is the house of God? The simple answer to that is there. Hopefully you can all see, all, see that. Bethel is there just to the, the west of the Jordan. So that's the, uh, the route that Jacob will be taken from Be- Beersheba up to Haran in the north. And it was at Bethel, not far from Beersheba, that he had this, this encounter with God. And so Jacob encounters God for the first time here at Bethel. And God reveals himself to Jacob in, in this, it's a pretty, pretty dramatic vision, a very, very graphic vision um, of, of the, the stairway and the angels. Uh, and in this vision, he reassures Jacob. He reassures Jacob with the promises that he made to Abraham all those years ago. And just have a look at verse 15. God says to Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob, at this point, Jacob was, he was a man on the run because of his, his deception and because of his trickery. He's, he's infuriated at his brother to the point where his brother wants to kill him. And yet, despite all that, God has still made this promise to Jacob. Um, it's a promise to Jacob, first and foremost, but it's also a promise, of course, to Israel and to us. You think of all, all the times that, that Israel have been brought back to the land of promise. In the immediate future here, it's Jacob, or Israel, as, as his name becomes, his return to Canaan from Haran. Then there's obviously the big one when Israel returned from Egypt uh, with with Moses and with Joshua. Uh, And then we also have uh, this constant reconciliation uh, of of, um, Israel to God during the time of the judges. You know, every every time they, uh, they fall into a sticky situation, God brings them out of it and then they drop back down and he brings them out again. Constant reconciliation throughout the time of the judges. And then, there's their return from exile from Babylon. And even uh, in modern history, um, 
we've seen the promise, this promise fulfilled uh, with the new state of Israel created in 1948. Um, in all of these events, it's God who is constant. Man's nature lets him down. God is the only constant in all of this. And starting at this point in Beth, at Bethel with Jacob, God has demonstrated through the entire history his grace and his enduring faithfulness towards his people. In, in another of our readings for today, Psalm 33, in verse 11 and 12, it says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And also in Psalm 100 and verse 5 it says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's carry on with, this, uh, with Genesis 28 now, from verse, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and I will watch over and, and will watch over me on this journey I am, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will give you a tenth. In the first verse of chapter 29 then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. So, having encountered God in such, such dramatic fashion here in Bethel, Jacob then continues, uh, continues on to Haran. And over the next few chapters in Genesis, we go through, we go through 20 years of Jacob's life, uh, during which time he, he serves his uncle Laban, uh, and we know about the... The, uh, the ups and downs with that. He marries two of, of Laban's daughters, one willingly, one not so willingly. Uh, he becomes extremely wealthy as God promised he would bless him. Jacob becomes extremely wealthy and he has 13 kids. It's not bad for 20 years. And during all that time, God is with Jacob. He's with him when he's in Haran. Um, and he's with him when he makes his way back from Haran, back to Canaan, and is reconciled with, with Esau. That's a few more places uh, as Jacob makes his way back from Haran. In Peniel, that's where, that's where Jacob uh, wrestled with God. Uh, and it's around there that he is reconciled to, to Esau, his brother. Um, and he eventually ends up in Shechem. And we'll pick up, pick up his life now uh, at the start of, of Genesis 35 where God speaks, speaks to Jacob again. God speaks to Jacob in verse 1 of chapter 35. It says, And God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So God tells Jacob to go back to Bethel, to go back to the place where he first encountered God, and to the place where God revealed to Jacob the promises of eternity. And I think there's something, there's something in this for us. That's my Bethel. Um, to, to most people, and for the majority of the year, that's simply 
an ordinary farmer's field in the middle of the Dorset countryside. Um, but to me, the camp there that you can just see in, in that field, um, that's the place where I first encountered God. Um, it's the place where, where I was reconciled to God and it's where the promises of eternity were made to me. And, and for me, it's, it's so important to, to revisit this place, not so much physically, I do go back there every year, um, but spiritually, to revisit the place where I first encountered God, where God changed my life. Um, because just as Jacob's life, I think, was changed at Bethel, so my life was changed at my Bethel. And your life will have been changed at your Bethel, wherever that may be. Um, and I think it's important. God says to Jacob, after all that God has done for him in those 20 years, the ups and downs of his life then, God says, just, just let's take some time out. Go back to the place um, where, where I, first, I first spoke to you and where you first really um, encountered, encountered me. I want to, um, to broaden this out now um, and to think a bit more about that, that question that I asked at the start. Where is the house of God? Um, in the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God, more often than not, is, is revealed quite visually. Very visual um, representations uh, of, of the house of God, of the dwelling place of God. And none, none more so. Uh, than in the wilderness journey. So let's, let's fast forward a few, a few hundred years now and go to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9, I'm, I'm going to read from verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command they would encamp, and then at his command they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. As the Lord, as the Lord, at the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses takes a bit of thinking to get your head around the logistics of, of moving the entire camp, um, setting it up and then um, and 
unpa- uh, packing it all up again in just a day would have been a bit of a bit of an effort. Um, but I, I, I love the love the wilderness journey um, because I think there are so many so many lessons and so many uh, little visuals in it and, Im- and bits of imagery that are entirely relevant to our daily lives. Um, and for me, the, the tabernacle is a very powerful piece of, Im- of imagery that we could we could spend all week going through it and exploring it. Um, but just as an overview, the tabernacle was simply the place where God met with his people. It was the threshold between heaven and earth. And from the tabernacle, God dwelt amongst his people uh, in the cloud. Have a look at verse, verse 15 and 16 again of Numbers 9. On the day the tabernacle, um, on, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. And at night it looked like fire. Can you imagine waking up um, each morning? You step outside your tent um, and one of the first, the first thing you see um, is the cloud in which God dwelt right in the middle of your camp. In the New King James it says, and so it was always. God was with the Israelites 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, as he was always with Jacob. And the very same is true for us. Um, And of course, not only was God constantly with the children of Israel in the wilderness, he was also continually guiding them. Look at, um, at verse 18. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out and his at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. God led his people every step of the way. Um, And not only did he continue to lead them, but he continued to to provide for them and he continued to protect them. Um, A couple of years ago, um, Lizzie and I were very fortunate to be able to visit the, the Sinai wilderness. Um, we think on the left that's the base of Mount Sinai it's the base of the modern Mount Sinai whether it's the uh, it's the same mountain that Moses would have climbed I'm not too sure Um, but our journey to Mount Sinai there wasn't quite like um, the children of Israel's because we we travelled there it only took about an hour from where we were staying um, and we travelled in a very nice air conditioned coach Um, but when we stepped out of that coach, boy, does the heat hit you. It's, it's like stepping out into a sauna. Um, it's dry and it's intense heat. Um, and you think, don't you, that that's what the Israelites would have had to have coped with. Um, but in actual fact, um, lots of people think that they didn't have to deal with the heat in, in, the, in that sense. Um, because the cloud gave them protection. We know that the cloud gave them protection from the advancing Egyptian army uh, when they were at the Red Sea. But also, um, many people think that the the cloud was there also to provide shade and to protect them from the intense heat of the day during their journeys. And Psalm, Psalm 121 alludes to this, if you'd like to turn to it. 
I'll read, I'll read the whole psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So God dwelt amongst his people in the cloud. He was constantly with them. He guided the people as, as the cloud moved from, from place to place and he also protected them. And all of that is true for us today except for the fact that we don't have the pillar of cloud. We don't have the tabernacle or the temple or any of the other places and uh, uh, visual images that we get in the Old Testament of the dwelling place of God. So where is the house of God here and now in 2011? Well, let's just, let's just go back to Bethel and to the very first time that we, we come to Bethel in Genesis chapter 12. Because there's just a little, a little um, tucked away at the end of chapter 12 in Genesis is a very, it's a very vivid picture, I think, of our lives as followers of Christ. And this is not me saying this. This is I, I give credit to my dad um, for this because he's done a lot of um, uh, reading into, into Abraham. Um, Genesis chapter 12, and I'll just read from verse, verses 7 and 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on. He went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So this picture, um, Abraham pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, Bethel at this point wasn't called Bethel. We know it wasn't called Bethel because Jacob named it Bethel and that was after this. So, in that sense, Bethel, the house of God, was hidden from Abraham. And on the east was Ai. Ai was perfectly visible. It was, it was a city and Ai means ruin. So, there you have a picture of Abraham in right, right between the house of God to the west and ruin on the east. He couldn't see the house of God. He could see Ai, it was a city, probably would have been a tempting place to live, but that was ruin. And Jacob, uh, sorry, Abraham couldn't see Bethel, but Bethel was hidden from him. And for us in 2011, we don't have the pillar of, cl of cloud or the temple. Those things are hidden from us as well. But we do have faith. Um, and we have to have faith in the things that we cannot see. So let's, let's take this further and let's go back to my Bethel. The thing about this place is for, for 51 weeks of the year, 
is just another ordinary farmer's field. But for one, one week of the year, and if Jack was here, I'm sure he'd back me up on this, uh, this place is transformed. Um, as we welcome God, we welcome God into, into the midst of our camp in, the, in, the, in this ordinary grassy field. And it's not the tents or, or the cooking equipment or the vans uh, that transform it and turn it into the house of God. It's the people. It's because of the people that come to, to that camp that God dwells in the heart of the big tent that's there. And it's because of the people that come to this church that God dwells right here and right now in this building, our very own Bethel. So where, where is the house of God in 2011? Because of Christ, I put it to you that the house of God is in us. Let's go to, to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus is the stairway in Jacob's dream that links heaven to earth. And Jesus is the means by which God is able to dwell in us. It's because of Jesus that we no longer need to see the pillar of cloud. We no longer need to see the temple. It's because of Jesus that all those restrictions and barriers that stood between the children of Israel and the most holy place have been torn down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. God, God has given us an opportunity, 
as we build the walls outside just over there of this holy place, those new walls, it is my prayer that in doing so, we tear down the walls and the barriers of the lives of the people that come in through our doors and that in doing so, the dwelling place of God may be revealed to them through the body and through the blood of our Lord Jesus. But even more so, because God dwells in us, our holy place is not just here within these four walls. It's wherever we are. We take the house of God with us and as we have learnt from the wilderness experience, God is always with us. And because God dwells in us, so love dwells in us. Our final reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 4. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Son of God and God lives in him and he in God, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So let's show this love to the people around us. And in doing so, let's pray that more and more people will encounter God and be transformed in the same way that Jacob was at his Bethel. We're going to share share bread and wine now. Um, But before we do, we're going to sing together and we're going to sing here in this holy place. And after after we've sung that, Andrew Campion's going to give our thanks for the bread. With those thoughts, Lord, we come to our Heavenly Father. Sometimes, Lord, we we hear your voice and we feel your breath stronger than us other times. Lord, if we don't feel you as much as we know we should please help us as we come to take this bread help us to remember as we take this bread remember the love that came down your love that came down when Jesus came onto this earth just as those angels that Jacob saw And just as the bush that Moses saw burning, and just as the voice that Samuel heard, you've touched our hearts at our Bethel, and you've brought us here. And as we read at the beginning of our service, Lord, your eyes are upon us. 
But so often, Lord, our eyes drift away from you. So now we remember. Help us to focus on you. And we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and faithfulness over the years. And we pray now that we too might be your church as a group here in this district and as individuals wherever we go. We might take hold of the joy as we take hold of this bread. We might feel you looking upon us and increase our patience in you, Father. Increase our faith and above all, help us to be a true reflection of that love in the days that remain. So thank you, Father, and bless this bread to us now through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, Lord, the, the roof of this building is, is protecting us from the rain that falls outside. It's keeping us warm and dry. And you shaded your people in the desert, offering them protection from the heat and the sun. And Father, we stand in your refuge knowing that you watch over us, your children, and you offer your protection. Father, we know that this doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us, that we won't face struggles in our lives or temptations, but that we can come to you, our Father, and know that we find our home. Lord, I think about the home I make for you and sometimes it's a pretty unwelcoming place. Sometimes the door, the front door is locked. Sometimes I let you in but keep some rooms to myself. As we share this wine together, Father, I pray that we will soften ourselves, soften our hearts and open ourselves to you more fully that you and the Lord Jesus may live in us Amen. Another song which um, I don't think we sing very often. Uh, it, it struck me for today in that it seems to pick up on lots of the things that we've been thinking about, about God's protection, about God being around about us and guiding us. Uh, particularly the end of that first verse God is round about me and can I be dismayed Dear Lord as the rain descends to the earth and bring forth, brings forth fruit so we know that you have promised that your word will not return to you void but it will accomplish that for which it was sent and we stand this morning before you and thank you at the end of this service together for this opportunity of drinking deeply from the oasis of life, this oasis which is centred in the wilderness of life. We have focused our attention this morning on the example of your, your servant Jacob, a man of the people. But we do recall again, in addition to the thoughts that our brother has brought to our attention again, we do remember, Heavenly Father, that it was Jacob who said, you and evil are the days of thy servant and we relate to that so much our days 
compared to eternity are so few and sadly mainly evil. But he also went on to say that you had brought him through the drought and through the frost and into a promised land. And we know, Lord, as we have sung now, that you bring us through the drought and the frosts of life. These were hugely challenging issues to people in that part of the world. But he declared you brought him through them so much that his name was changed to a title of glory, a title which reflected that he was a prince with God. And we also are brought day by day through the challenges of our natural life and have been named princes and princesses of God. And we thank you for that. And we pray that we will go from this place this morning with full assurance of faith that your hand is working in our world. We perhaps pray personally that you will bless the children of this place and be with the children of the world that somehow their hearts by your power and spirit will be reformed. You will get rid of the prejudices in our hearts and minds and somehow deal with the prejudices of man's humanity and wicked ways so that somehow the world might reflect more sunshine and glory even now. But nonetheless we strongly declare and thank you for the promise of your new order to come which at the end of our few and evil days will be a time of immense wonder and glory and peace and the kingdom of your son will be established throughout the world and probably far beyond. Accept our thanks we pray as we leave this building for all your goodness to us. Keep our paths straight to the best of our strength. Forgive us when we trip and fall and pick us up again we pray to keep walking forward to your kingdom and accept our thanks with the forgiveness of our weaknesses in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ.